Welcome to the Engaged Midwife Podcast. This is Missy. And this is Kara. Welcome back. I am excited about today's topic because I am seeing more and more of this in clinical practice. And I think it's good to have a basic foundation on this topic and to really understand like counseling and how to deal with this patient population. So today I want to talk about puberty. Okay. Which you have a teenage girl. And a teenage boy. I mean, I have boys and so it looks a little different, but we're going to primarily focus on female puberty. Yeah. Biologically female. Yeah. I think it's a good place to start. And if you haven't listened to our podcast on periods um, and the menstrual cycle, go back and listen to that as well after this. But this is going to be more than just starting a period. If we're going to talk about puberty overall. So where do you want to start? Should we just start with like some physiology, like when things happen, how things happen? What do you want to do? Yeah, I think, I mean, my first message I think would be that while there is not like a set um, progression with puberty or a set timeline and age, that's there's more ranges, but in general, there is kind of an order of events that typically occur and we can start to see, do we think this child is maturing in the ways that normal children do? And then once they start that process, there is a typically pretty logical step-by-step thing that happens. Although we don't have hard and fast rules on, they have to have breast budding by this age and menarche by this age. There are ranges that are normal. Okay. Um, One of the things that we look at Mm -hmm. when we think about puberty and onset of puberty, and I know that the pediatrics population, right, the physicians and the NPs that work in the peds world really do look a lot at tanner staging. They do because it has to do not only with um, pubic hair and distribution, but also breast budding. And we know in females that those are precursors to menarche. Right. Because usually we do have development of those secondary sex characteristics and they occur before um, menarche, which is kind of one of the later events of puberty. Yes. There are lots of physical changes that have to happen from many different systems right? in order for our HPA access to like start clicking in and doing what it's supposed to do in terms of menstruation. Right. So... Exposures to the hormones like estrogen and so forth, but also exposure to the androgens. Right. And and to that GNRH, right? Right. Because we need growth hormone. Right, right, right. So, um, all right. So let's talk. Do you want to talk about teener stages? How do you want to? It's not one of my most favorite things. I can do it. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about, there's two parts really to tanner staging, and it has to do with pubic hair and breast development. Now in, in females, in males, we look at pubic hair and external genitalia. And so that there are scales for these things. So let's, since we're going to focus primarily on female, biologically female children, let's talk about pubic hair first. So stage one is we don't have any growth. There are no signs of puberty. Stage two is downy hair, which is sort of soft fluffy hair, right? Fluffy. Fluffy. 
I mean, it's like that soft, like baby like hair that you get. That's what I was thinking. Downy makes me think of downy Babies. detergent. Yeah. Yes. Stage three with terminal hair is or stage three means that there is some scant terminal hair. The hair is getting more coarse, right? Um, darker, etc. But it's very sparse in nature. Yep. Um, stage four for girls is terminal hair that fills basically the entire triangle, like from their mons to their thigh, yeah. right? That triangle area. And then stage five is we have hair growth past the inguinal area and onto the thigh. Some more than others. I mean, some of us are more or less um, hairy. Pursuit. I love that word, but I'm, it's one of those words like oligomenorrhea that I used to be terrible at saying, and now I don't even try. Yeah. But yes, certainly. I have very little body hair anywhere. I'm like a naked mole rat. Every single podcast episode, I feel like Missy, you and I are the extreme opposites. And I think that we're just trying to be (laughs) inclusive and pull from many different life experiences because I come from a long line of very hairy people. (laughs) Hairy people. What's funny is, is that's such a familial thing, the hairiness, because, um, I have some very funny genetic things, which someday I will tell everybody the whole world about it. But when I realized I was so unhairy, I started looking at my mom and I was like, oh, my mom's not hairy either. And funny enough, my dad like has very little hair on his arms and very little hair on his legs. And I'm like, this is, I mean, I hit the genetic jackpot that I had two parents that decided to have me that both are not hairy. I think that my parents um, combined together and took the most unappealing attributes of each of them and (laughs) combined them into a child. (laughs) Joking. I'm very, very, very thankful that my hairiness is very light colored hair. Yes. Yes. But anyway, (laughs) so let's talk about breast development because that looks a little different it does. in terms of tanner staging. So stage one, again, no glandular breast tissue, no formation of breast tissue, no signs of puberty. Stage two is the very first sign, pubertal sign in females. Yes. And that's breast bud development. And that means that there is tissue just underneath the areola. Yes. And that's all. And that, again, is the very first sign, typically, of pubertal development, the onset of puberty in girls. Exactly. So now stage three is when you start to get breast tissue that's palpable outside of the areola. But the areola is still flat. It's not developing. Mm -hmm. It's just a proliferation of tissue underneath the areola. Mm -hmm. Stage four is when we kind of talk about mounding or double scooping, where you get the areola is starting to protrude above the actual breast mound. Right. So it's like you have double scoop, right? A bigger scoop, which is the breast tissue, and then the smaller scoop, which is the areola, areolar development. That makes so much sense. And I'm not sure that I've ever put those two words together. So thanks. You've got it. You're welcome. And then finally at stage five, which is full breast development, the areolar mound sort of recedes down. So you don't have the double scoop um, sort of sign, but instead you have this very like singular breast contour, right? And the areola starts to get darker. You get more pigmentation, um, nipple protrusion. Some women don't have nipple protrusion. Nipples are a very individualized thing as well. Yes. yes. Also, as is hyperpigmentation of the areola. 
like some women have very dark areola. Some women have very light, very pink. Areola. Some people don't have a lot of melanin in their bodies. It's true. And some have more. It's true. Yes. So that, that would be stage five. So when looking at girls, or if you are in a practice where a mom has brought you a 13 year old who isn't menstruating yet, Tanner stage is a good way to just take a once over Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, this is where they fall in terms of pubertal, pubertal development. Right. Right. Um, and then there's a whole nother, um, scale for boys and what their external genitalia look like. But I think we can stick maybe right now with just talking about female. Yeah. I think that's fair. And really because we do care for women across the lifespan, really having a good understanding of female puberty development is really probably our bread and butter. Exactly. So let's talk about timeline for some of these things. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier that breast budding is typically the very first sign. And I guess we should have said, you know, when we think about this timeline with puberty, it could start as early as like age eight or so. And that can be very common and, but can go through the adolescent years and really wouldn't be abnormal to have later onset of period and that sort of thing, even up to like 17 or so. Yes. And again, familial disposition can also have something to do with this. Also the amount of exposure to sunlight, the amount of physical activity, the dietary intake, or is this a individual that's in a lot of sports? How much body fat do they have? Some of those different things. Girls with very little body fat do not menstruate early. I kind of always had this kind of rule in my head that like girls don't start their periods until they're a hundred pounds. And I know that's not a hard and fast rule, but you, you have to have enough body tissue and, and fat deposits to store your estrogen. And so you're right. Like you have to have some stuff there to actually mature and function like an adult. And puberty is really when we achieve our adult capability for reproduction. And you can be over a hundred pounds and have 5% body fat and still not menstruate. Exactly. Which is like our gymnasts, our dancers, like these people who have a lot of muscle mass and not a lot of adipose tissue. Right. Right. I also think it's important to point out that the average age of menarche has decreased. A little bit. Mm -hmm. Over years. And that has to do with some of the things you were talking about, like environmental exposures, diet, lifestyle. And actually, I think when we talk about like the changes in Menarche, people would argue that our nutrition is better now. We would oftentimes argue that our nutrition is worse, but people have more food security and are able to take in more nutrients. And so because of that good nutrition, sometimes that age of uh, menstruation has decreased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, usually, typically, the next thing that happens after the breast budding is growth of the pubic hair. So people will talk about that being called pubark. Um, And then we get a growth spurt. And that growth spurt usually occurs six to 12 months before the period starts or menarche, menarche. And that growth spurt is when girls achieve most of their height. Because once they start their period their growth significantly decreases. And in general, most girls don't grow much taller um, a year after Menarche starts. That's kind of sad. Yeah. So generally like by age 15 at the most, 
most girls have stopped growing taller. Yeah. It's one of the concerns with really, really early menarche is that this is why sometimes we, you know, have these children being seen by endocrinology and so forth, trying to slow down the progression because the height is one of the big issues. The growth is one of the big issues. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of um, an overall look. We said that menstruation was one of the later signs. We also then have you know, more growth of the underarm hair, we start to fill out and take on a more adult shape and contour of the female body um, over the next few years as well. Um, And have additional like breast growth into adult breast size in the late adolescent years. But really, when we talk about the progression, it's breast budding, pubic hair, growth spurt, menarche. That's it. That's it. So when is it abnormal for girls to, like, at what age? At what place do we talk about, like, primary amenorrhea? Well, generally, I think we're thinking about age 16 when we have had the development of the normal secondary sex characteristics, but then we don't have a period. Normal growth normal secondary sex characteristics with no period. Yeah. And that's 15 to 16 is generally when we would start to say primary amenorrhea. Okay. So, and, and at 13, Mm -hmm. if they don't have any secondary sex characteristics. Right. It would be very abnormal by age 13. If they have no breast budding, no pubic hair, that would be abnormal as well. The biggest percentage of girls who fall into this primary amenorrhea category is is girls with um, dysgenesis or Turner syndrome, those kinds of things. Some of the Mullerian anomalies and so forth as well. So those are the ones that, and that's a huge, that's almost half of the girls who present with primary amenorrhea. Okay. So what else about the menstrual cycle? Is there anything that, um, so one of the things I think when I do anticipatory guidance with, with young women is the irregularity of which they may have periods in the beginning. Exactly. But, and while they don't always ovulate when those periods aren't regular, they certainly can. Absolutely. It's this, It's almost like the idea of a car engine on a cold day. Hang with me. Okay. On a cold day, you put your key in and you turn your car over and it might sputter, right? And be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this yet. And then you turn it again and it might give you you know, a little bit more, um, right. And then on the third turn, it like goes like it's supposed to. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking of with the pulsatile nature of what happens with GNRH and how the body starts to respond to the hormones that are coming from the HPA axis. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to give you some, oh, and then you're going to have a period. But then the next time I might have to like stimulate you a little bit more to have a period until your body like gets into this really nice cycle of continuous regular hormones coming from the HPA axis causing you to have regular periods. Yeah. It makes sense. It's like a stutter step, right? Yeah. So some girls will start their period and go straight into having a period every single month. But there is a population of patients who will start their period and only have a period every other month or every 10 weeks or um or have a period and then like not have a period for three months. Right. And that has a lot to do with that pulsatile nature of those hormones and how our bodies respond. However, we also can see things like PCOS in young girls. 
Yes. Because insulin resistance, especially with obesity, can also lead to menstrual abnormalities, even in young girls. Yes. Yes. So not as much PCOS with the idea of polycystic ovaries right. as a diagnostic cr- criteria, but insulin resistance. Right. Right. Yes. That comes with then causing menstrual abnormalities. Yeah. Absolutely. I think one of the things, you know, talking about how it can take some time for things to kind of regulate is I remember being taught in those classes when we separated into boys and girls, right? And talking about what we could expect in the next few years is our teachers talking about, so your periods are going to be really light and not everyone has the same lived experience um, when their periods start. And so thankfully, we have so many options now available for menstrual products. I love the period underwear for girls. So is it, it thinks? Yeah, it's one of the brands. There's all kinds of brands out there now, but how great that they don't have the same concerns and worries about starting their period and not being prepared with menstrual products and that kind of idea. And then also even menstrual cups. And then younger generations are so much more aware of the impact on the environment than people from my generation and certainly before me when they still were wearing belts with their maxi pads. Um, but those are all things that we want to be thinking about and supporting patients really well through the different changes that they may experience. Did you ever think, like, I know I thought as I was growing up, like, God, I don't ever want to wear a pad that will just give away that I'm on my period. But that's all I used as a teenager. Right. And now look at all the options that they have. I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish there were always yes period panties that you could just wash. Yes. Right throw in the laundry, which is amazing. I was explaining pads with wings on them to my teenage daughter and that we didn't used to have those. And that it was like so exciting when they first came out and she looked at me like I was like smoking crack. I think um, she had no idea. Well, it's because we were trying to prevent our panties from getting gross. Yes. And overnight pads that were like actually long enough. And I mean, all the things. Interestingly enough too, I think that girls now are like, I more inclined to use a tampon. Yes. Um, But as we talk about things like this with puberty and girls, I think um, girls don't also do not understand vaginal discharge Mm -hmm. and normal vaginal discharge, right? And what that looks like and how um, it can, like, don't put a tampon in if you're not menstruating, like, because because you don't like the vaginal discharge, vaginal physiologic discharge is normal. Right. And, um, and it keeps your vagina healthy, but if you do use a, um, you know, something inside of your vagina, it can cause micro tears in your vagina, which will predispose girls to infection. Right. So I do think it's great that there are so many options for periods. I also believe that like with what we know about gender and gender fluidity and how girls deal with menstruation it's good to have lots of options. It is. And as as we were talking about this, I was also thinking back to how you talked about the Tanner staging with um, pubic hair development. We have to make sure that we're asking people about what they're doing to remove body hair as well, because I feel like younger and younger people are altering their bodies in ways that if we don't ask them, are you removing hair? We may not know that there is actually hair there. That's a great point that I would not have even considered. Yeah. I think of it, um, and probably because my child sees an endocrinologist, we're always looking at the hirsutism and that kind of thing, but it has opened my eyes to thinking about, you know, asking 
with insulin resistance, are you removing facial hair? Are you removing hair from your nipples? <laughs> Those kinds of things. I'm I'm someone that also needs to shave my toes. Um, you know, those kinds of things. What are people doing to alter their bodies? Because you can't always tell. Exactly. So I know that there are probably people who are listening to this podcast who have teenagers or prepubescent children that they're like, oh my gosh, these things are coming. It's interesting because I don't remember having any conversations like this with my own mother. Oh, interesting. Not one conversation. Um, so I was sort of in this vast um, darkness of self-discovery and figuring things out on my own. Yeah. Um, and I hope that I have evolved as a parent and now I will be able to have these conversations with my own children. Although I have boy children and it looks a little different, but I, I do think that when your mom is a midwife or your mom is an NP, like these conversations with your kids become different. Yeah, they do. And you know, you're going to laugh my, um, my mom, I have a twin sister and I remember she got this, it's a four set of books and I actually have it in my house right now. And it's the life cycle library. It was four little red books and a little box set. And she just said, here girls, here's some information. If you want to come to me with any questions, please do. And to us, that was perfect because we were little readers and we were voracious and taking in information. And I think we like read those books until they were wrinkled and dog-eared. But um we also knew there were open lines of communication. And so while I don't remember being sat down and told everything, I had the information readily available to me. Yeah. Um, there are so many things about puberty and menarche and just sexual relationships and sexuality that come when you have patients who are 10 to 20. I mean, that's a broad range, but you hear what I'm saying. Right, right. I do think too, it's important to understand how to talk to parents about what's going on with their child, prepubescent, pubescent, whatever. Yeah. And also making sure that they understand that like pap smears are not necessary for women under 21. Right. People with cervixes do not need a pap smear until they're over 21. That we also don't encourage breast exams, that there's no reason for us to do bimanual exams. There's no reason for us as practitioners to put anything in a vagina unless there's a problem. Right. 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 Um, we can even sometimes diagnose infection on, you know, a younger person without putting a speculum in, right? We can do a swab, which is just a Q-tip, you know, inside of a vagina, which is much less traumatic than having a a speculum exam. So when you are dealing with, um, younger people in your practice, I think these are important things to consider. I do too. I do too. So I want to give you just a quick resource because this is one that I bought for my own children. I have one too. Okay. So um, it just came out in April. Um, It's a book called, you know, Sex, Bodies, Gender, Puberty, and Other Things. And it's appropriate for boys and girls. It's recommended for kids over 10 years old also. Um, But there are two other books in the trilogy. There is What Makes a Baby. And sex is a funny word. That's awesome. So those are the three books, um, same authors. So it's what makes a baby, sex is a funny word, and you know, sex, bodies, gender, puberty, and other things. All available on Amazon, good resources. They are funny sort of books, uh, a little cartoony if your kids are into like um, the graphic novels, that is how they are written. I love it. Okay. What is yours? So you're going to laugh, but one of my very favorite resources is from the American girl. 
And the dolls. The dolls. Yeah. And so they have the American Girl, The Care and Keeping of You. And it's intended for age eight and up. And it is all about moods and emotions and friendships and everything else. But it's also all of those body changes. And I, they now have, you know, older girl editions and they have personal workbooks and diaries and all of these things related to it. But literally my favorite resources, I have them um, in my office. I have them at home for my own children. And I really, really, really like them. So there it is. It's also available on Amazon, the care and keeping of you. It is interesting because I do firmly believe that 20 years ago, these resources did not exist for people like us. Um, So I'm also hoping, hoping that, you know, there are lots of resources for, um, for girls who are, you know, hitting puberty, a girl's guide to puberty and periods is another one. Celebrate your body, go to Amazon and find the books. And if your kids don't like books, find some other resources for them. These are hard conversations to have. I do think introducing them to what the changes are going to be in their bodies is important. And I think it is hard for a lot of other um, parents, mothers in particular, to discuss these things with their children because they didn't have those conversations either. Right. Right. So let's be different. Yeah. Let's change. Let's be the things that we know we can be. That's right. So we hope that this um, episode was helpful to all of you in better understanding puberty and maturation. And we hope that there were some great messages to take away from it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Engaged Midwife Podcast. We can't wait to talk to you again. Take care. 